also just this is an important time to mention edward cullen died of the spanish flu he was alive during the last pandemic so a mid podcast reminder to wear your mask so we don't end up like (laughs) carlisle won't save us from this one kids you court jesters out there um knowing that and i have decided that's gonna be the name of our fan base so that's gonna be a thing now shout out to the 30 of you to the hot 30 of you very consistent every week we love you um welcome to another episode of feminist fiends and quarantine queens our podcast where we talk about feminism and pop culture i'm pate and i'm nelly this week, we're diving into the 2008 romantic fantasy film, Twilight, based on Stephanie Meyer's 2005 novel of the same name and directed by Katherine Hardwick. The film stars Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, and Taylor Hunter. Twilight tells the story of Bella Swan and the vampire she falls in love with, Edward Cullen. Whether you are a devoted fan of this cult favorite, your team Edward or team Jacob, or you love to hate watch the film series, we hope you enjoy today's discussion as we do a deep dive of the first film. Today we are joined by a feminist fiend super fan and my childhood best friend, Kayla Yusuferi. Kayla is a senior neuroscience and dance double major at the University of Rochester. She considers Twilight to be a guilty pleasure of hers, but she also might be a bit of a hate watcher, so we're excited to see where today's conversation goes. Welcome, Kay. Thank you for having me. I won't lie. This has been a big, big dream of mine <laughs> since Nellie and Pete and Quinn, never forget, started the podcast. I'm so excited, and I'm also excited that Nellie let me do Twilight, because it was met with a little bit of opposition at first, but I promise it's worth diving into. Really, Pete? Pate sold me on it all. Pate was like, we could do Twilight, that would be good. I was kind of like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> not gonna lie, fans, but this will be a good epi. Um, also, Kayla, before we, um, before I pass the mic back to Pate for the intro, um, I just figured it would be fun, since you have been a loyal fan, um, a loyal listener of, of the pod, um, if you have any, for maybe some new listeners at uh, this episode, or just... I don't know, share with the fans your, your fave episode or, or any feedback you have. Um, we'll, we'll gladly accept it. <laughs> We're perfect. I don't know what you're talking I don't about. I think feedback was the word I was looking for, but Pete's face when I said that was priceless. I actually came on the show to tear the podcast apart. <laughs> been a plan of mine um i said i was gonna write down the numbers like five minutes before i logged on um but i can probably I tell you the numbers so i would recommend um first get out um it's a great movie so you should definitely watch the movie um pace friend cameron great analysis great guest it's a good episode worth listening to the politician is one of my favorite shows ever so check out that episode and I'm also just impartial to the, the very first episode ever on the podcast. It's a little lengthy. It's a little scholarly. It's not for everyone, Nelly thinks. But it's not I, like, edited. I've listened to it like four times. So I would recommend. Um, <laughs> loyal queen. Uh, a loyal queen. Just to give people the numbers. 
Okay, Get Out was episode number 19. The Politician was episode number 22. And obviously, our first episode was number one. Um, I feel like episode one is just like a really interesting college lecture where we occasionally chime in. I remember, yeah. Episode one is easily the most scholarly up. My stem brain really liked it. I felt like someone was poking my brain and rubbing their I finger. know. I'm trying to think, are you the first STEM guest we've had? I guess well, Tari was, um, Tari's a computer science person. That so, STEM. Uh, yeah, and she's a queen. So shout out to that episode. It is number, number 15. Woo-hoo. Before we dive in, we wanted to remind folks to stick around until the end of the episode for this week's action items. Even though the election is behind us, there's still so much work to do, and we are still navigating life during a global pandemic. So this is a reminder to wear a damn mask. And also while we're doing housekeeping, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Feminist Beans and here on Spotify so that you never miss an episode. And now without further ado, let's dive into Twilight. So Kayla, we always like to ask our guests, why they choose the film or series that we talk about. So why do you think Twilight is worthy of feminist critical analysis? And also shout out to our listeners for voting for this in between Emily and Paris. Um, I was looking forward to Twilight and y'all delivered. So thank you. But uh, Kayla, on to you. Yeah, so for personal reasons, I feel like Twilight was the first, like, iconic young adult novel that I, like, read the books and then watched the movie through. I was, like, a big Percy Jackson kid when I was in middle school, and then, um, like, I kind of started to get into Twilight because it was supernatural with the vampires, but also when I was a teenager, so I was like, oh my god, it's Twilight. And I also think that Twilight really was iconic with respect to what it did for the whole fantasy romance film that we really saw in the late 2000s, early 2010s. So it's also a guilty pleasure of mine. I watch it all the time and I'm sad at school. I've seen this film at least five times, which is embarrassing to admit on a podcast, but yeah. I don't think that's embarrassing. I think 10 times would be embarrassing, but I don't think five is embarrassing. I think you're just passionate about it. Yeah, I feel like it's it's embarrassing to have watched all five Twilight movies through, though. Like, that's a lot of time spent watching Twilight, truly and honestly. Well, something I noticed is, like, I just watched the trailer for New Moon because now I, like, want to go watch all of them. I read, like, the first three books and watched the first three movies, and I wasn't allowed to read the fourth book because in eighth grade and they had sex, and my mom wouldn't let me read, which, understandable, maybe. But um, the first movie, the one we are talking about today, was so, like, (laughs) oh my god, sorry, my dog just, Posey! That's so embarrassing. Shout out to Posey, what's up, queen? She's a a quarantine queen. (laughs) She is a quarantine queen. Um, But the first, Twilight the movie, reminded me of the (laughs) house. Posey, I am on a call. Basically, what I was trying to say is, like, Twilight and The Hunger Games, the first movies, you can obviously tell they, like, do not have the budget as the rest of the movies, and I think they get significantly better with each movie, but I still was watching Twilight the whole time, like, being like, oh my god, this is so awkward, and 
looks like I filmed it on a flip phone. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because I had said this to Nelly when we decided to do Twilight and I was like, the quality of the first movie is not great, but they get better. And I thought it was because the plot was more epic, but then I was doing research about Twilight and it changed directors. Like Catherine Hardwick directed the first one, but that's not who directed the rest of the movies. And she really wanted to keep like this like indie like classic indie movie vibe of Twilight when she directed it, which is why it looks like it was filmed on a flip phone. (laughs) Well, and also, well, I'll give like my background on Twilight. Um, Fun fact, I won, I literally don't know how, I won like midnight premiere tickets to New Moon. I don't know when that came out, however old we were. We were pretty young. I know I had braces, speaking of orthodontal, we were talking about orthodontal, Orthodonter? Orthodonty. 2009. You were 11. I was 10. Oh my god. Maybe it was Breaking breaking Dawn that I had. I think it had to have been. If I had braces, just with the timeline. Okay, I had Midnight Premiere to that, and I swear it was like the first one I saw. I'm the sort of person, y'all might know this about me already, based on the handful of things that we have talked about, but like, especially kind of like cult classics, like, I feel like when, or not cult classics, just, like, cult-type movies and, like, fandoms and things like that, I'm, like, very easily hooked on. But I remember seeing, going to this midnight premiere and, like, basically not caring and, like, leaving being, like, okay. Like, which is, I'm not trying to be, like, it's just the sort of thing that I never fully bought into, even though, like, I saw Hamilton, like, way later than, this is just an example of a fandom, but, like, way later than when it came out, and I was so hooked on it. I loved, like, the Hunger Games and those books. I just don't know if I was, like, late to the game on Twilight, and that's why it never worked out for me, but I I do think that, like, it's worthy of talking about um, because cause when I was reading about it um, in preparation for today, I found a couple different arguments about the movie and it seems like people are either on are very much it's very polarized in terms of whether or not it can be considered feminist um and there was one article in the guardian titled 10 years of twilight the extraordinary feminist legacy of the panned vampire series and kate Muir, or yeah i'm assuming that's how she pronounced it like the woods near woods kate Muir basically argues that the film redefined the role of women in movies. And she argues that the release of Twilight in 2008 showed the power of a large female audience. So following the release, quote, the race to satiate the imaginations of teenage girls was on, end quote. And so basically following Twilight, like very shortly afterwards came the Hunger Games um, in 2012 and then Divergent in 2014, which I definitely do kind of group all of those together in terms of, um, I mean, they definitely had different levels of popularity and different fan base, but like the fantasy, romantic fantasy genre is there. And then um, this article also kind of points how there's a younger market that also got strong heroin front women um, following Twilight as well with Brave and with Frozen in 2013. Um, so this was an argument that I really hadn't encountered yet. Um, 
But I wanted to ask y'all, do you think that the legacy of Twilight is a positive one? Do you think it did have a correlation with these following movies? Um, regardless of like the content, I guess, of the film, do you think it paved a way for, for the industry to focus on the girl and woman audience members? I think it's interesting to think about that because in the same Guardian article, Catherine Hardwick is quoted saying, Twilight changed the perception, the idea that a movie about a girl wouldn't be popular and wouldn't make a lot of money, but it blew it out of the water. A novel written by a woman, a movie directed by a female. We broke records and people can use that for ammo. When another female director goes to a meeting, they're going to say, well, I don't think you can do this. And they can respond with, well, Catherine did it, Twilight did it. And so I don't, know if that argument is necessarily really valid like that specific out of context quote was used to say that captain marvel which was marvel or marvel's the marvel universe's 21st movie was the first one to be produced by a woman and this captain hardwick was saying basically if twilight hadn't happened and she hadn't directed twilight that they wouldn't have had a female director for Captain Marvel. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. I also think that there's been a lot, I think what Twilight demonstrates to young girls with respect to relationships with men, like, yeah, there was a largely female audience, but that massive female audience saw this girl being in really two abusive relationships when we boil down to it throughout the whole movie. And so I don't know with respect to what it says about bodily autonomy, empowered choices, and all of that kind of thing that we want young women to see if the legacy of Twilight can be considered to be, like, the net effect is positive, if that makes sense. Yeah, and in kind of, like, a similar vein, I didn't know that uh, Catherine Hardwick didn't direct the following movies until you just pointed that out, and so if she did change the game in terms of female-directed young adult movies like why didn't she continue directing them i mean again maybe it really is just stylistically because they were like we want to go more with a hollywood movie as opposed to an indie film but still i'm like and also to me if she knew this might be overly critical of her without knowing as much about her but if she knew that she was paving the way for women like why wouldn't she find a way to like make it work so that she could continue being the one paving the way like i'm not saying like i don't want her to assimilate but at the same time, I'm not so convinced that she would, I think she's selling herself a little bit higher. I'm glad that she feels this way and that she had this impact. Like, we stand an empowered woman. I just don't know if that, that correlation is actually legit. I agree with you, Kayla. Yeah, she, it says in, further in that article that Hardwick was asked to make the second film, New Moon, but it was in a really short time span and on a really tight budget. So she said no. So, I mean, I don't know if that speaks to the resources that she was given to make the movie and if that was related to her gender and her experience as a director but if Twilight was really popular and it was such a success I don't know why they wouldn't have the budget and she wouldn't be like well I care about this a lot I want to have a hand in making this legacy what it is or what it could be get me more money you know I mean this is probably gonna be like the nicest thing I say about Twilight um no offense, just because I was a big Hunger Games stan, as we know if you listen to the Hunger Games um, episode, and Hunger Games has really, has big beef with Twilight, and I think it is because I think about, like, the big trio of, like, fantasy. It's, like, Twilight, Hunger Games, and Harry Potter, 
and Harry Potter has a male protagonist. So then that just leaves for the Hunger Games and Twilight to be like the second, who's the second best. Because I feel like a lot of people think Harry Potter is a league of its own, whatever, whatever. And like, you know, I don't love the fact that Twilight is really centered on a relationship because I think the Hunger Games, while it has a relationship, it is not the center of the story. And it's like, I think Katniss is a really powerful, strong woman, as I've talked about in previous episodes. And so, and the fact that like Bella is human and like automatically seen as weak compared to the vampires, you know, I kind of have a problem with that because it's like reinforcing like the strong man in the relationship and the weak woman. Um, But like, I do want to give credit. Like, I think it is a great thing that women finally had like a fantasy book that they could get behind. I mean, like men had like spy movies and like James Bond, like and Mission Impossible. Not saying women can't enjoy that. But, um, like, this was something that, like, women could, like, relate to Bella and have a character that they, like, saw was the main character. Um, And I think, yeah, a woman author and a woman director, like, I think it's important that we do, like, recognize that even if we don't love it and, like, can fully be stands of Twilight. I totally agree, Kate. Um, And I think what you were saying, too, about the ways in which No, I can't remember exactly what I was going to say, but basically the ways in which uh, Twilight is focused specifically around or the relationships that Bella is a part of, I think is kind of points to the the alternative on the other sides of the spectrum kind of opinions surrounding feminism. So if it's okay, I'm going to share another (laughs) quote from an article. Classic. It's been a minute since I did this. So if you're listening and you miss me quoting articles, here we are. Um, So basically, alternatively, Ashley Renfro writes in her article in Medium titled Time to Set Bella Down, a Feminist Critique of Twilight. She writes how both the book and film series do not take Bella seriously and portrays her as, quote, a self-deprecating girl written with a slew of stereotypical attributes. She suffers from low self-esteem, cooks and cleans for her father, is physically small and weak, is consistently portrayed as the damsel in distress, is obsessed with Edward, and loses all interest in any other activity once they meet, thus fulfilling the unfortunate stereotype that women need a man to complete them and experience true happiness. And in general, falls fails to exhibit any personality traits that that could mark her as a strong female character, end quote. Um, so what do you think, th- what do you think it says about the film if Bella is so quickly to give up everything for Edward and kind of in the same vein that, Pete, you were saying, like just the fact that the movie itself is, in the book, is centered around love and relationships as being kind of the end goal for women. I think it's interesting to think about how they're, like, Bella chooses Edward and at first you're like oh I understand like she's new in school she doesn't really know anyone like this is like her only friend but that's simply not the case which I think I like kind of forgot when I was watching this movie again and looking at it critically where like she finds a group of friends that want to hang out with her and invite her places almost all of her male friends hit on her like that boy Mike asks her to prom is interested in her and like, 
shows interest, she shows no interest, and then this mysterious man who treats her honestly like crap the whole time, like, he, the first time she meets him, he's, like, gagging because he smells her blood. Like, if I met a man and he was gagging the first time I met him, I wouldn't be like, I'm in love with you. Like, that's just confusing to me. And so I think it's, I think Bella definitely attaches herself to this toxic man and you don't really ever really understand why nor do you see them ever have like a like an intellectual conversation it goes from the scene where he's like I'm a vampire are you scared of me and she's like no and then they like lay in a field and then she's like I think I'm in love with Edward and so it's like I don't know if that even she empowers her friend to ask him her man friends to prom right and she's like I just asked him that's so exciting I'm so proud that I did that and Bella's like yeah you're such a strong woman for doing that and then Bella is over here like getting verbally abused by Edward in a greenhouse and so I don't really understand why when Bella Swan's character was written how she can have women around her that she feels like she's empowering, but she can't empower herself. And maybe that's a metaphor for a bigger issue that we haven't dealt, like dove into yet. But yeah, that's, those are my initial thoughts. I do definitely, like, I don't know what cliche it is, but I do think it's a cliche that exists of women being quote unquote strong women until a man comes into their life. And then all of a sudden they're not able to be, I, I, I mean, I can speak to it a little bit from personal experience and from, like, people I know. I do feel like people are, like, able to look on the, look at the, like, on the outside looking in at a relationship and be like, no, this is, like, how you have to be empowered and, like, you should take initiative and have autonomy over your relationship. But then, like, when they're the person in it, they're not doing it. Um, It is, like, so blatantly like obvious and intense in twilight to the point where it is like you know that something's wrong so part of me is like oh you can make the argument that this is like a commentary on the issue but like i don't think it is um and i i don't know that i mean we were how old were we we were like 2009 so i was i was literally 11 or 12 and so when this movie came out and I, or no, that was New Moon, 2008. I was 11. That's right. Sorry. I mean, again, not saying that I was necessarily like waiting for the movie to come out and going to the premiere. I went to Breaking Dawn premiere. But I, (laughs) I just think that like, I don't know that people at 11 or 12, unless they're wise beyond their years, um, are able to think like, oh, this is a commentary on the ways in which like we are disempowered. And, like, the ways in which the patriarchy inhibits our autonomy over ourselves. Like, I, I just simply don't, like, I don't think I was thinking about that when I was 17 or when I was 18, you know? So, like, you could, like, make the argument that it draws attention to this issue, but I don't think it does. It, there's no, like, solution. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I literally have seen every movie maybe once, if that. Um, I saw the, the, I've seen this one twice because we watched it before today. Um, <laughs> but I just think that it doesn't do, there's no like resolution to like the, that, that issue. Um, and that's what is disheartening about the, the argument that it paved a way for female cent- female centric um, fantasies, just because if this laid the foundation, like how can there really be 
I don't know. How can there really be like, I don't know. I guess there's all, there's you can only go up from it. <laughs> That's the way of thinking about it. Well, I guess the, the, the metaphor you're looking for is if you have a weak foundation, then you're going to have a bad house. So if like we're starting off twilight, then like, yeah, we can build up from there, but it's also a rocky way to start. But I think something that's really important is the fact that we were in middle school reading the books, at least I was. And so when I'm reading it, I think 17, wow, she's so old, she's so mature. But watching this today is a 22-year-old girl, and she told me, oh, yeah, like, I met this guy, and he gagged when we first met, but then he was really nice to me, and now I'm in love with him. I would be like, girl, run. Like, that is literally the worst relationship I can imagine. And so this whole time, I'm like, she's 17 years old and is making decisions that I, as an adult, shouldn't yet have to make, like, about the rest of my life and my how I die and if I'm willing to sacrifice what for a boy. And so I think a lot of times we forget about that and we often romanticize, like, high school relationships, especially in young adult novels which I think is weird because most of the time they're written by adults. Side note, maybe a conversation for another day, but. um, Sexualization of young girls. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Um, But yeah, I, this whole time watching it this, this time, I was just so confused why it happened so quickly. And I was texting Molly Longwell this whole time. Shout out Molly Longwell if you're listening because she is um, a Twilight diehard. So any questions I had, I would ask her. And I really took problem to the fact that Edward was fascinated by Bella because he couldn't read her mind. And it's almost like he's obsessed with her because he's trying to figure her out. And then through that, he starts to like her. So it's almost like he's trying to like win a prize or like figure out a puzzle or he's fascinated by her because she's like, he can't read her mind. And that's not a reason why you fall in love with someone or that's not a reason why you want to spend time with them. Um, So like that was something I just really didn't like about how their relationship blossomed and how he became fascinated with obtaining her. It's also interesting to, I think I'm getting into the movies after Twilight but so spoiler alert but you also have like 10 years to watch these movies so sorry but um like once people make the argument that bella becomes a more empowered woman by the end of the series by the end of breaking dawn she has like a half vampire demon baby that's with no one knows what to do with she causes a war and bella's like this is what i want and i know what i want And I think it's interesting because I don't necessarily agree with that. And especially in New Moon, when Edward ups and leaves and she's like having night terrors because he's gone, which is a very sign that something is not right in that relationship. You shouldn't have night terrors because you miss someone so much. But also it becomes by the end of New Moon, it's Jacob and Edward fighting about what's best for Bella. And it's just truly like she's an object and they're, she's a pawn in their power struggle with each other because they have this long history of the reservation and the werewolves versus the vampires. And so I don't know if Bella really ever becomes her own entity because she's always viewed through the lens of like the Cullen's human 
or Jacob's human friend that needs to be protected by werewolves, which I'm not a fan of and is not empowering at all. I don't know. It just it does not set a good example for young people and their relationships, I guess, bottom line. Um, which you, which y'all have said. And I just, the wild thing, and and we don't need to keep this in, but it's something I've been thinking about. The wild thing is that when I was looking up like a little synopsis um, in writing, just an attempt to write our introduction for today, I was looking up um, just like synopsis, synopsi, and um, just like descriptions of the movie. And it was like, always like, Bella had always been an outcast and things didn't change when she moved to Forks, Washington. And I was like, she literally joins, like, she literally joins, like, the cool kids. Like, they immediately are like, oh my god, Isabella Swan, we know who you are. Your dad is the chief of police. Like, Mah. they were like, we know who you are. We, like, knew you when we were kids. Like, everyone knows her. And she's like, actually, it's Bella. And then, like, <laughs> goes and hangs out with the man in her lab, in her lab, who thought she smelled bad? Like, I just, I literally don't get it. And I don't understand why that's the description of the movie either. Because I'm like, actually, she does fit in. She, like, which this is a good transition to the question that you wrote, Pate. But she, like, decides she doesn't fit in. She's like, no, I'm not. It, it is, like, a, I know this isn't the trope that you wrote about. But she does have a not like the other girls trope also. Very much so. But while we're talking about tropes, Pate, do you want to... Yes, thanks for that great um, segue. So basically, Nellie, that's a really good point because something I've noticed between the cool girl trope and the manic pixie dream girl trope, they're so different, but the thing that they both have in common is that they are, quote, not like other girls. And I think Bella really just gives off that vibe so hard that she's unlike other girls, and that's why Edward is attracted to her, but really it's because he can't read her mind. Um, but so y'all know what the cool girl trope is. We did episode five about that. And it's basically a woman written by a man who is super hot and is not like girly girls and basically enjoys everything that men enjoy. She loves beer um, but and hot then dogs. A pixie, she loves beer, hot dogs, football, and she, but she's not better than you at any of that stuff. And she doesn't know more than you. And she still has, she has big tits and a big ass. In exactly. one of my favorite Perfect. Netflix rom-coms of all time, I'll quote from Set It Up, Harper, the main character, said, girls don't like guys who <laughs> like girls... Wait, sorry. Let me start again. Great job. Great job. <laughs> guys don't like girls that like sports. Guys like girls who like guys that like sports. Wow. That just blew my mind. Do I need to watch that movie? You do need to watch that movie. Have you ever <laughs> seen Set It Up? It's so no. bad. It's so good. Oh, Pete, you would like it. It's bad, but you would like it. What, what does that mean? That I have bad taste? No. I mean, <laughs> we watch everything. Like, we have, okay. a, we have a TV and movie podcast. Basically, okay, adding it to my there, list, like, I guess. It. Whatever. After I watch New Moon, I'll watch it. Um, <laughs> but a man in- See, Dream Girl is trying to find the quote. Um, she is a character that exists solely in the imaginations of sensitive writer directors to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. So basically, a manic pixie dream girl is a really cool girl that's written into a movie or TV show in order to teach a boring guy how to live. 
and Nellie thinks that that's her, and I'm telling her that's incorrect, because she cannot be a trope as she is a living and breathing woman. But To be fair, like, I don't identify with Manic Pixie, like, I'm not saying, like, I embody Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like, I don't try to do that, but I do think that oftentimes men, like, in the, oh my god, whoo, this is a big, if I'm writing a thesis, in the grand scheme of if if life is a movie and the patriarchy is the director, which it is, men would write me so that I can fix them because oftentimes that's the role that I play in the men in my lives. But also I have some control over that, so I shouldn't be doing that. But also I've internalized the patriarchy that wrote the that wrote the movie. So but that's basically what I'm saying. I'm not like <laughs> Like, whatever the, like, the, like, Debbie Ryan, like, put the hair behind the ear and make the little face. Like, (laughs) I'm not, like, like, I, I know you can't see, but y'all picture me doing that. I'm not, like, "Mm, I'm a manic pixie dream girl, but when when Faith described it, I was literally, like, me, fuck, I do that. But, anyway. (laughs) Sorry, I've completely derailed your question twice. No, I haven't even asked the question, so it's totally fine. But, like, I think it would be wrong to say that Bella, I didn't either or because she definitely doesn't have some of the identities in both like the manic pixie dream girl is supposed to be super outgoing and like attract the really quiet guy but as we've seen bella is not outgoing at all but she is super quirky she does her own thing she listens to her music and reads poetry instead of hanging out with her cool friends um but then she also isn't like other girls she doesn't like dresses she doesn't like fashion and she doesn't care about going to the prom so she's like a mix of the cool girl and the manic pixie dream girl and you're supposed to think highly of bella i feel like that's how we are supposed to as an audience portray her as like a cool girl that that we're rooting for um because she's not like other girls she has multiple love interests um so i guess what would y'all think like what would you say about her having identities in both of these tropes and then furthermore harm in these tropes um, being present in the media that's targeted towards young girls. Because as we've said, this movie and book series had a big young adult following. I definitely think that Bella outwardly is more like a cool girl than the pixie dream girl. But I do think I would like to introduce the pick-me girls into the chat because I think that's something that's new based on because of social media and because of TikTok, where like a pick-me girl is someone that purposely does things to gain the attention of men, even if that's not her personality, which I don't know if Bella necessarily does that, but like, what's the harm in Bella spending time going to the prom with her friends? Like, she goes, she agrees to go, she actually asks to go prom dress shopping with them, and then sits there so unamused the entire time, and it's like, honey, why did you ask to go with them if you didn't want to be there? She wears Converse to prom, or one Converse, because she's in a boot (laughs) at the end of the movie, but, so I think that Bella really is, like, she catches the eye of Edward and then tries to be mysterious and uninterested to gain his attention or gain his affection. 
at times often even being hostile towards him, almost like a really serious form of negging to kind of get to the bottom of like whether he wants her or not. And I think that in itself really creates a dangerous relationship because when you push an aggressive man to his wits end, he doesn't always push you up against the wall and kiss you. Sometimes he actually hurts you and it can get really dangerous. And so I think that that dynamic that Bella creates is like, I'm cool, I'm here to emotionally support Edward, and I'm also unafraid and just so attractive to him that I can say or do anything I want, and I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Also, like, Edward can kill her. Repeatedly, he reminds her that through the whole movie, and she's like, I don't care, I don't care. I'm like, he literally said, first time I met, I wanted to eat you, and she's like, I'm not scared of you. I'm gonna be like, bitch, bye. Like, I am not gonna be a part of this relationship any longer if you're gonna eat me. Also, this is off topic, but a little bit. But even, like, later in the movie, I think so much about the beginning of Breaking Dawn or the end of Eclipse. I can't remember which one it is. When they finally consummate their marriage and they don't think to use a condom and Edward doesn't realize he can get Bella pregnant. First of all, Carlisle knew that that could happen and he had 109 years to give Edward the talk and he didn't. So shame on Carlisle. Second of all, it's so irresponsible of Edward to have done that. And you didn't have, Bella didn't have the autonomy to have the conversation beforehand about her own sexual health and not even her sexual health, her literal physical state of being. Like the baby almost killed her. And so just, I don't know, all of that is like, how much of a doormat can you be to win this man's affection? And I think that has really, that ties in both to the pixie dream girl and the cool girl trope. Also, like, why did he think he couldn't get her pregnant? It's not like men go through menopause. Like, I'm sorry, like, your semen does not stop, like, procreating. Like, men can literally impregnate women. I mean... Well, because we've never had a vampire before, yeah, to so be we can never fair, like, But also, anatomy. you could technically be, like, 109 and impregnate someone. I know that I understand that. I feel like, yeah. We need a fact That's checker. Gross. Where are they? I'm sure you can. Old, there are old-ass dads out there. I hate that. Live your truth, everyone, as long as it's consensual. But, <laughs> but also use protection right. if you simply don't want to impregnate people. <laughs> but I literally... That's wild. I literally do not know enough about the remaining movies. Okay, this was a question that I encountered. At its core, what is Twilight about? Like, do you think there's an underlying message? Yeah, this one's interesting because I've read quite a lot on the internet about it. I have this one, like, blog post from this woman named Christine Seyfert on um, a blog called Bitch Media. So I don't know how credible it is. I can love Bitch Media. No, Bitch Media is good. Paige Snyder, Dr. Paige Snyder, um, who was on for our Knock Down the House episode, loves, she literally was like, I don't know if I can talk about anything on the podcast unless it was on Bitch, it was in Bitch Magazine. So keep that in mind, like, that is literally the only source of pop culture she (laughs) consumes. She literally said that. I'm not shading her i love her she's my queen but bitch media is a good source so just want to affirm you in that yeah so basically i'm not going to read a ton of quotes but there's an argument that twilight is abstinence porn because there's a sexual tension through literally like all of the movies until the end of eclipse the beginning of breaking dawn where bella's like i wish we could have sex and edward's like no i'm old-fashioned because i'm from like what 
also just this is an important time to mention edward cullen died of the spanish flu he was alive during the last pandemic so a mid podcast reminder to wear your mask so we don't end up like (laughs) carlisle won't save us from this one kids wait Um, what's carl carlisle's wife's name esme yeah. Well, I guess maybe she didn't. I was gonna say she was the OG quarantine queen, but I guess she didn't die in the Spanish flu. That was Edward Cullen was the OG quarantine queen, except for he wasn't because he died. Rip. But so anyway, there's cool like thing where Edward, Edward doesn't want to have sex with Bella because he's old fashioned and he's respecting the sanctity of marriage, and also he's worried he might kill her, which is a whole other thing that I think is so funny. Um. But there was a lot of people that were really, really, like, in rage that they eventually have sex. And so, basically, what Christine Seifert's saying is that this is all just, just it's abstinence propaganda, um, which I think is really interesting because I never really thought about it in the way that, like, I never thought about the fact that they never actually do have sex until like they're married like he waits until their like their wedding night to have sex with her and so I think that that's really interesting there's all of this but also in the lens of like it's in Edward's control Bella is like begging him begging him begging him and he's like for your virtue I can't have sex with you before we get married which is like so much to unpack there um but so that was something that was really interesting that I found on the internet that what is Twilight about. Also, um, an Atlantic article um, by Ashley Fetters unpacks a whole bunch of stuff, but I did not know that Stephanie Meyer is Mormon, and so there's speculation that the choices that Stephanie Meyer made with the Cullens is supposed to be representative of Mormonism and how everyone has villainized Mormons and how the Cullens are supposed to represent like safe Mormons, friendly Mormons, welcoming Mormons, and that Bella is experiencing some sort of um, religious awakening. Um, This article says Bella, though is Miss Meyer Standen, is also a modern American woman who struggles with Edward's patronizing misogyny and overprotectiveness. Her mind is the only one in the book not open to him, which serves both as an indication of her reverential reserve towards him as God or prophet and her resistance to being totally subject to him. Though devoted to and in love with him, she sounds notes throughout the series that reflect something like feminism. So maybe a feminist take on Mormonism, how you can be both feminist and Mormon. Um, But yeah, I, yeah. I, like I said, I was texting Molly Longwell about this because, Kayla, I feel like you and her could have great conversations about this. Um, But so I was asking her why Edward waits so long to finally turn Bella into a vampire, and it's because he believes that, or like once humans are turned into vampires, they have no soul, and then she will be like not able to go to heaven or something like that and that there's a lot of like religious imagery and um like hints to religion in twilight which i never picked up on in the sixth grade but good to know um and i i think that's just like something to wrestle with and although we've thought how you know terrible their relationship is at times 
I think it's like really obvious that Edward is like trying to do in his mind what's best for Bella even though a lot of times it's like not the best like he disappears in New Moon and she becomes depressed and throws herself off a cliff so that she can see him. She lands into water, by the way. She doesn't, like, kill herself. But in the moment, he thinks he's doing her a favor by, like, never talking to her again, but it, like, almost kills her. And continuously, he's, like, trying to do the best thing for her, but it oftentimes is not the best thing. And I think one of the instances where, like, he's not allowing her to choose to become a vampire he's trying to save her from, you know, damnation or, like, having a terrible life on earth, but in the end, it's, like, if that's what she wants to do, you should, like, respect that, so I think that is something that we should probably, like, I guess appreciate Edward, like, he really, I think, is always trying to, like, think about her best interest, but he does it so poorly sometimes. I do challenge that, though, because at the very end of Twilight, when she, the first movie, they're at prom, and she's like, change me right now, and he's like, is it not just enough to grow old with me? And I'm like, that's a little gaslighty. Like, she wants to be with you forever. Like, she, like, Bella is like, I don't want to have to make you watch me die, so please change me into a vampire, and he's like am I not enough for you as you are right now? And it's like, homeboy, you've already uprooted this girl's life. Let her live, you know? So you try to have, like, a Benjamin Button thing where she grows old and then you're, like, a baby? Like, not actually. He's not getting younger, but he's going to stay the same age. So. Um, yeah, but, we- but maybe, like, uh, Edward is, like, I'm 170. I think that's how old he is, but he's 100-something. So he's like, I want you to enjoy your life a little bit longer. Like, yeah, you know, no, I understand the intention behind it. But no, totally. Like, I think after, like, a, like a year, should have changed her. 25. I think he was like, yeah, I was like, you're 17. <laughs> I don't want to, like, change you right now. Yeah. your frontal closed. Hello. At least let oh, her get to, like, a legal drinking age. That's another thing I wonder. They all say 17, so, like, for the rest of their life, they cannot legally drink. Struggle. That's a struggle. Yeah. I mean, if they have, technically, that would be based off their birth certificate, so they would be chill to drink. But also, they're vampires, so they don't even eat or drink. Okay, we simply need to wrap it up. (laughs) Um, uh, Kayla, is there anything you want to bring up before we wrap it up? Or any final thoughts? Team Edward or Team Jacob? Team Edward or Team Jacob? Um, Team Edward. Team Edward. Oh, wait! Team Jacob. Sorry. I was, I literally don't know why I said that. I got mixed up. Team Jacob. Sorry. I think I'm also Team Jacob. I thought I was Team Jacob after watching this first movie. Actually, no. I'm actually Team Jasper. Jasper's the best character in this whole movie. I'm literally Team PETA. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I thought we were talking about, like, the whole series. Because I remember, like, Eclipse. Doesn't Jacob, like, force himself on her and, like, forces her to kiss him? Yeah, I don't stand either of them. I'm literally team... They're I'm both team. really abusive in different ways. I think Jacob Jacob has a horrible thing where he, like, pulls, like, the we've been friends forever card, and I'm like, that's no reason to ask someone to like you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, team Anna, I'm team Anna Kendrick. Sorry. <laughs> I literally just, like, leave. No, I'm team Bella's dad. He's so <laughs> hot. ACAB, but team Bella's dad. Charlie. That's my stance. <laughs> All right, guys, it's that time. Okay, the age-old question, is Twilight a feminist film? No. No. 
just no. Okay, <laughs> the end. If okay. you somehow have made it here and don't know why I think no, then I need you to re-listen. Just because a movie was written and directed by women does not and mean stars. Hot take. That's simply so true because a lot of times people are like, "Oh, it was written by women," or "It was directed by women," and it's like, um, we still have internalized misogyny in us. We still are a part of the patriarchy, unfortunately. Well, it's similar to a part a point you you brought up last week, Pate, that I've been thinking about since you said it, was, I don't have folks like this, so I follow on Instagram, but you live in Alabama. Um, like, people are like, oh my god, like, we have a working woman in, on the Supreme Court, like, blah, 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 woman, and then, like, like, yes, representation, great, but just because there is a woman in, like, a role doesn't necessarily mean it's a good representation of, um, their demographic and so I remember there was this thing in Mrs. America which we talked about at our start and it was something like oh my god there's this meeting where she's sitting in she she's sitting in a meeting with um it's Phyllis Schlafly no I know exactly what you're thinking about you know what I'm thinking about all these men and they're like they're like dogging on the ERA and instead of standing up for herself, she continues to dog on the ERA too so that she can get the respect of them. Yeah. And I think just like, and there's another scene too where someone's like, oh no, Hmm. I'm not even thinking about Phyllis Schlafly. I'm thinking about her literally her opposite. I'm thinking about RBG, but yes, I was thinking about, I was combining these two things for some reason, but they're similar and they're people with very different views, but same thing. Like you just said, like a woman being, um, very much like deeply embedded in the patriarchy and it's, even though her view is different she still goes with what the men are saying for the sake of her own personal gain but then in in with RBG I remember there was something where they were like when would would you not just be happy if we xyz what was it fuck some judge said something oh it was like like, you wouldn't just be happy if we, like, Susan B. Anthony on the dollar bill or something? It was something <laughs> about changing currency for the sake of representation. The fact that we can't remember this shows how fucking stupid it was. Basically, it's like, you wouldn't just be happy if we, like, put a woman there? And it's like, no, I need you to actually, like, take women seriously and represent them in a way that is going to empower and lift them up. And so the fact of the matter is Twilight does not lift up women. It does not empower them. It may have paved the way for other films and films and um, works within the genre to succeed. But bottom line is that it does not, it's not feminist. Dude, I think you just perfectly wrapped it up. Thank you. I think that was like exactly what I was thinking. So if you want to know what I'm thinking, rewind it 15 seconds. (laughs) Hit that little 15 second button. We're going to dive into some action items as always. Kayla, as our guest, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, so I have always had a big, big problem with Taylor Lautner playing an indigenous character <laughs> in Twilight. And I did some research and the Quailut, I think I'm saying that right. I might also be butchering it. Um, tribe is actually a real tribe in for- the Forks, Washington area. Um, and so in honor of Jacob Black, <laughs> I, my action item is to donate to the First Nations 
COVID-19 response fund for native nonprofits and tribal organizations that need financial support to battle the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, specifically in high-risk areas like California, New Mexico, New York, Navajo Nation, and the Pacific Northwest where Jacob Black lives. Native nations are more susceptible to chronic illnesses such as diabetes, they're more likely to live in multi-generational homes, which makes social distancing more difficult, and often have less access to food and are therefore more susceptible to food shortages due to the pandemic, which just makes it incredibly tough on Native populations. Um, right now, First Nations is passing through all of their donations without any agency cost, so 100% of the money you donate will go towards people who need it. Um, you can find it through the website at firstnations.org. Um, but I'll also have like a direct link that you can just click and it'll bring you to the thing. Sweet. Um, because this week's movie had me questioning whether or not Twilight is a good portrayal of a healthy relationship, I'm plugging an organization, organization called Love is Respect. Love is Respect is the national resource to disrupt and prevent unhealthy relationships and intimate partner violence by empowering young people through inclusive and equitable education, support, and resources. Love is Respect offers 24-7 information, support, and advocacy to young people between the ages of 13 and 26 who have questions or concerns about their romantic relationships or the romantic relationships of loved ones. So to learn more and find ways to get involved or to make a contribution, if you're feeling generous with upcoming Giving Tuesday, um, check out loveisrespect.org. Um, so my action items, I have two small ones that have to do with representation in fantasy writing. The first one is called Broad Universe, and it's an organization that promotes science fiction, fantasy, and horror writing by women. Um, and their website is broaduniverse.org. And then my other one is called the Carl Brandon Society. Website's carlbrandon.org. And its mission is to increase racial and ethnic diversity in the production of an audience for speculative fiction. And um, I think that's important because recently Nellie and I had a conversation about how surprisingly um, diverse and inclusive Grey's Anatomy is, and that's because it was um, created by a um, black woman. And Shonda we Rhimes. just thought plain. Shonda so Rhimes I think plain. Like, when we I have more people of color and more women writers, we will see uh, better representation on the screen and in the books. So, um, yeah. Amazing. Well, Kayla, thanks so much. Um, I know I'll talk to you thanks, like probably Ryan. tomorrow, but thanks for being on the podcast. Um, I'm sure I'll talk to Kayla like at least four times before this episode is released. So um, definitely more than that. It's Wednesday. So <laughs> a lot, a lot. Um, but thank you. Is there anything you want to plug like personally? I can cut this out if you do not want to. I don't think so. I don't do a lot of cool things. Shut up. I'm wearing a cat shirt. I think I wear this every, like, day. <laughs> I'm wearing a cat shirt. It's Wait, I do good. have something to plug. I do have something to plug. Okay. Um, I don't have a fun Instagram, but if you're interested in activism at all, there's a lot of racial injustice happening where I go to school in Rochester, New York, so you should follow Free the People Rock on Instagram instead of my personal Instagram. Um, their Instagram handle is at FTP underscore rock. Sweet. Selfless queen, always thinking about others. <laughs> and um, this is not selfless, but you should 
uh, just another reminder to follow Feminist Speaks on Instagram and here on Spotify. Yeah, follow us. Follow us. Uh, and also follow follow Free the People Rock. Yeah. They're not one and the same. Follow Free the People Rock before you follow us, but follow us. <laughs> okay. Um, if you're feeling generous. If you're feeling generous and you're like, ooh, we follow back usually. Sometimes we forget, but we're pretty. Follow for follow. Don't about that. If you ever need that bump from 99 to 100 likes, Feminist Feeds will get you there. It doesn't even matter. No one can see likes anymore. <laughs> Don't get me started. Um, okay. We need to wrap it up. But thanks, Kayla. I love you. You want to share your quote? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of digging. There's not many good quotes or profound quotes in Twilight. But um, towards the middle end of the movie, if you haven't seen it, the vampires play baseball, but they're really strong. So I only have to play during a thunderstorm so people don't hear them. And Edward takes Bella. And because of the light. Oh, yeah. They don't good. listen. Is that that's, why? Yeah, no. It's definitely because of the noise. No, he says. No, it's because of the noise. No, he says we have to do it when it's raining because of the light. Oh, he does not say that. Kayla, we know, we Anyways, know the truth. Edward takes her. That's <laughs> right, me or Kayla. Pick to me. play baseball and Bella goes vampires play baseball and Edward goes well it's <laughs> a national pastime <laughs> oh my god on that note I also liked the one where she, the other quote you put on the google doc like does she even like Italian food well her name's Bella <laughs> I laughed at that the fact that also that they're like cooking for her and then she's and like they don't eat and then she comes and she's like already ate if that it's isn't so every bitch also i forgot to say this during the podcast it's irrelevant but rosalie is the best bitch in twilight bro i have so much respect for rosalie you want to hate Facts. her but honestly i can't even be like like rosalie never hates bella because she feels like she's being competed with she's just really protective of her family like it's not even like in an anti-feminist way rosalie's just like who is this random ass person you're bringing into our secret tribe of vampires so yeah. why, mm-hmm. why, why is rosalie she's... the protagonist of twilight yeah she's the only one who right has a fan stephanie meyer wrote midnight sun from edward's point of view but what i want to know is rosalie's point of view that's next oh my god i know she's listening to the podcast yeah so, i know you're a big big fan stephanie myers and you made it this far in an episode where you just fucking roasted your book we just tore up your book about mormonism <laughs> shout out to mormons of your truth um okay <laughs> unless you're homophobic in which case cut unless you're 50 years old and you married a 12 year old mm-hmm. edward cullen that's what it is but literally, that's why I did autism, because he's 117 no. and you're a minor. No, we can't keep all of this. Okay. <laughs> this has been Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. Bye. Bye.